Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome to the Just Keep Thriving podcast. I am your host, Johnny Maria Gresta, and I'm a multiple six-figure entrepreneur, registered dietitian, personal trainer, and business coach. This podcast is your weekly dose of health, mindset, spirituality, personal development, and business growth mixed all in one. Because as you grow as a human, so does your impact and your income. My mission is to change the health and happiness of society, and I'm beyond excited to have you here. So let's dive into today's episode. Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome back to the Just Keep Thriving podcast. This is your host, Johnny Agresta here, and today I have a very, very special guest, Miss Jessica Benstock. She has been on my podcast before. I have no clue what episode number it is on, but I will put it down in the show notes below. Um, but today we were talking about some unconventional stuff in the health and wellness field that needs to be talked about. And a few weeks ago when I decided that I wanted to shift my brand back into a place of helping entrepreneurs change the health and happiness of society in ways that go way deeper than just physical health, I thought no better person to come on and talk about unconventional shit in the health field than Ms. Jessica Benstock. So I'm super excited to have her. She has been on the podcast before, like I said, and she's not only changed my life, but she changes the lives of her clients and her following in ways that I have never experienced before. Um, she uses trauma healing, energy healing, hypnosis, as well as of other ton of strategies that I will probably mess up if I say, but she will let you know all about that. And she also now coaches other entrepreneurs on her techniques and her impact is growing massively. So you guys know I love a massive impact while helping you actually change the health and happiness of society. So that's what we are here to talk about today. Welcome, Miss Jessica. <laughs> Hello. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm all about that big impact. We need it right now, too. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things also, too, that's it's always in like my about me and it kind of gets put to the side, but is relevant to this conversation is I come from a line of Western medicine. So I'm the baby of like multiple generations of doctors and my dad's a dentist. My mom's a physical therapist. Both my grandfathers were surgeons. My great grandfather did some kind of, you know, if you go that back that many generations, it's, it's like what medicine was very different, but it goes, it kind of runs in my family. And then I'm the black sheep that's introduced holistic healing and ancient medicines and, you know, understanding healing from a source level versus symptom-based level, but we'll get into all that. Mm. Yeah, I forgot that your family was all involved in Western medicine. It's so interesting how like you can either follow that path and keep going or like question it. And mm -hmm. I feel like you are the queen of questioning things in a very grounded <laughs> and non-emotional state. Um, and Sometimes, yeah. most of the time. <laughs> you don't see the behind the scenes of when I'm like, what the actual fuck is going on? But... <laughs> Well, especially Thank right you. now. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I, it took me years of studying all sorts of alternative healing uh, modalities and techniques and being obsessed with them and teaching them, being a practitioner of them before I actually connected in my head that I come from a line of healers because mm. I never saw them as healers because I, I, you know, they heal things, but um, it's just so vastly different and holistic healing and alternative therapies are so often demonized by Western medicine that it just felt like I was on a completely different path until I realized, mm. oh wait, no, this is the same, the same intention. It's just how it's being, uh, you know, 
operated in and the paradigms behind it, et cetera. Yeah, something interesting that you said on your stories the other day that I messaged you about was regarding this, like how alternative medicine was like termed alternative medicine and coming Mm -hmm. from like Western medicine and being in the health field, um, you know, we maybe had like a little paragraph in our textbooks about nutrition and any sort of health, definitely no studies on it (laughs) that my, that my schooling taught me and I studied it for many years. Um, about alternative medicine, you know, it's kind of just something that was like swept underneath the rug. Um, and even just true healing of even just a medical condition wasn't even discussed. It was kind of always talked about as like a secondary thing. And even I'm talking to one of my uh, old clients who's a registered dietitian. And um, I no longer work with her. Like she's not old in age. I want to <laughs> make that clear. Um, but she, uh, I had posted something saying that if your doctor hasn't talked to you about healing your type one diabetes or the fact that you can't, or type two diabetes, the fact that you can heal it, that there's a problem. And she's somebody who has type two diabetes. She's like, I never thought about that. Like I healed my own, but I never put two and two together that that should be the messaging, not like a secondary, (laughs) like, okay, here's the medication and here's some lifestyle stuff that you could possibly do, but like, they probably won't. So here's the medication, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, there's so much to dive into around that and it changed my life when I, I think I started questioning it really early on. Um, but once I really dove into the history of it, I was in this, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it felt like waking up from the, you know, when Neo wakes up from the matrix and like, he sees it everywhere, but it was there the whole time. It kind of feels like that. Or when you learn marketing and I'll get into that as I explain it, but once you learn marketing, you see marketing everywhere. You realize the entire world is made out of marketing and advertisements. And um, so it's a language that was there all the time. You just didn't have the context or the understanding to see it. And this is the same thing. But the first time I felt weird about this, I felt this inkling of like, what is wrong? Um, was in my very first hypnotherapy training. And at the very end of this intensive training for hypnotherapy, they said, you cannot use the word healing or healed mm-hmm. or cure in your advertising. It is illegal. You will get sued by the FDA. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really intense. You know, I, I remember being like, wait, I'm, I'm literally not allowed to use the word healed or cured or curable in my messaging because it's illegal, even if those things happen. And so that was the first time where I was like, wait, that's really weird. And that I believe that, I mean, this was 12 years ago, but I believe that still today is the case that for some reason there is something about the Food and Drug Administration that has really capitalized on certain words, not being able to be conveyed in uh, alternative healing therapies. And, mm-hmm. and also then I think after a while I started to get into herbology and, you know, healing my nervous system with things like ashwagandha or these different herbs that are really good for, you know, healing the adrenals and replenishing the system. But whenever you go in, and I'm sure most people know this, like if you've ever had to get any kind of herbal medicines, you look at the bottle and it says really clearly on the bottle, this is not FDA approved. Like the, essentially the way that that messaging is on those bottles is it says this probably won't work. Mm-hmm. And that to even sell herbs, it is a law that you have to put 
that after your brand has reached a certain amount of reach. Um, and so there was like little pings here and there. And then I think for me, the big one started when I, well, the big one started when I got off birth control and had realized that I was put on it at age 12 and I had had one period and I realized what birth control did. So after I got off birth control, um, my birth control was one of the, I don't know if you remember those commercials that were like, if you took this birth control and you have mesothelioma, you're entitled to a lawsuit. And I was like, what the hell? That's my birth control. Right. Um, and I don't have mesothelioma, but I didn't get my period for three years after being on it because my hormonal system actually didn't have the chance to work properly. Um, and so that was a really big, what the fuck moment. Um, my hormones were a big awakening for me in all of this. Cause I also got the HPV vaccine. I was 17 when it was out, my mom made me get it. Um, also very well marketed and I have family, you know, in the hospital. So of course, like any new thing that's really pushed, they're going to be like, you should get this. And it was always out of fear. And so I got it, but then looking at the research behind the Gardasil vaccine, there was also a ton of, uh, cystic fibrosis, PCOS, um, you know, fertility issues that women were having. And I started getting pains that seemed to be ovarian cyst pains. So my female rage against the machine came up first <laughs> and I felt like my body was being attacked and experimented on and I really wasn't okay with that. And then the kind of like to top all of it off, cause as all of this awakening was happening, um, and I was, you know, I'm naturally rebellious against my parents and against old systems anyway. So this just was like throwing gasoline on the fire um, I, when I was 17, I contracted, uh, herpes and from a rape. And so from non-consensual sex, I was forced into, and I was so pissed because I got, my body was really sensitive and I would get outbreaks all the time. Like if I ate peanut butter, I would get an outbreak. If I ate chocolate, I would get an outbreak. If I had sex, I would get an outbreak. If I was stressed, I would get an It was like, I was constantly having to deal with this thing that was a reminder of someone who wrongly took advantage of me. So that was like five pounds of gasoline on my fire to heal it. And Western medicine says you can't heal this, which is interesting, has an interesting correlation because in Western medicine, they say you can't heal viruses. Viruses are non-healable, especially herpes, which is interesting because they make a shit ton of money on herpes medication. Um, and I was like, fuck this, fuck you. I can heal anything. I'm going to, I'm learning all these alternative healing modalities. I'm going to heal this. And I ended up healing it in eventually I found, um, I did a lot of belief work and worth work around it. Uh, Cause viruses, especially sexually contracted anything, a lot of the time has to do with worth and a lot of like self-hate or shame or things like this. So I did a lot of that energetic work, but I also found a medicine woman in the Amazon who gave me a tincture and she's like, oh yeah, we can heal that here. Take this, take it, you know, eight drops a day in the morning and the night. It was like a tincture for three months. And the first, and she was like, it's going to be intense because it will detox your system very quickly. Um, so be aware. And I had tried so many things, you know, it was, I think I was 23 at this point and I've been trying to get rid of it since 17 and 
so I was like, whatever, hopefully it works. I don't know, a little like medicine witch in the Amazon rainforest, like maybe it'll, and it fucking worked. And I had the worst outbreak of my life. I could not walk for like five to seven days. And then it never came back. And that's what she said. She'll, she said, you'll have an intense shedding of the virus out of your system and then it'll be gone and it's never come back. Um, and so that also showed me like, okay, if this is possible with the 85% of humans that have HSV one or two, why is this not even present in Western medicine? So all of those things together for me was like, it became really personal for me when it was about a war on my body and finding all these alternative ways of healing things that, yeah, I wasn't being offered. And that's how I got into like the history, which we can go into, but that's an introduction of like my fire of, of, you know, a big fuck you to the system. But also like, if you're not going to show me, I'm going to find it myself. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um, and being so open and, and vulnerable. I'm sure that it's uh, hitting home with a lot of people who are listening and aren't speaking up and hopefully that we can spread some hope now that yeah. you have found that. That's why I brought you here. But seriously, thank you so much yeah. for sharing that. Yeah, um, my pleasure. Yeah, I find it really, the, the thing that I found the most interesting in everything that you said was the shame that you said you felt around um, what you had contracted and um, maybe even mm-hmm. the way that it happened or, you know, something like that. And I would love if you were to speak a little bit more about that, because I think that that can resonate a lot with just different areas of our life, especially in the medical community and having illnesses and, you know, things like yeah. that. Yeah, there's such a multi-layered thing with shame and uh, will, like drive feeling deserving, feeling worthy. Um, a lot of it, you know, shame, even if it's not operating um, and animating something that has a physical manifestation, like a virus or like anything, so many different bodily issues can have an energetic resonance with shame. Um, but even at the core of just emotional work, it is one of the heaviest energies. And actually I found one of the quickest to heal because all you really need is someone in front of you going, yeah, me too. Yeah. I've been there too. Yeah. You're not alone. You're not some abnormal alien, you know, gremlin creature. You're actually just a normal human. But I think shame is such a big thing because um, one, it's a really good way to control people. And two, it's a, it's a disconnection from our humanity. It's a feeling of like, I'm not normal. I'm bad. I'm wrong. Something's wrong with me. Um, and it can really be passed down in a lot of different ways. For me, it was, it was definitely like a very common story that women experience where I blamed myself for a long time. Um, and this is a huge thing. I think if this got into the court system, if we understood trauma responses in the court system, that most rape cases would, would make a lot more sense because when you're around, for me, I was in a situation where there was a guy that I was like interested in and I was, you know, it's very ignorant little, you know, rave fairy when I was 17 and I met him at a party and I went to hang out with him and I realized that, you know, he's 10 years older than me. 
um, we were at his house and he was pressuring me to have sex with him. And I had a moment of realization of no one knows where I am. I'm in this house completely alone. This guy is way stronger than me, way bigger than me. And I went into freeze mode and freeze mode is a survival. It's, it's part of the fight flight system. So it's a very core survival response. And when you go into freeze mode, it's like, you're literally just doing your, your body cannot fight for itself because it's attempting to protect itself from something that it feels like it doesn't have capacity to fight or it doesn't have ability to fight. And so even though I had said no and that I didn't want to, and he kept pushing me to do it, there was a point where I just kind of disassociate, like I went into freeze because of fear and I disassociated from my body. And so for a long time, I didn't even think that that was my fault. I thought that it would, or I didn't even think that that was his fault. I thought it was my fault because I should have spoken up and I should have said more and I let it happen. And, um, and I liked him. And so I thought that like, you know, I put myself in this situation and of course I was gonna, you know, of course it was my choice, but really when it came down to actually having sex, it wasn't. And, um, and part of that too, was that he didn't have condoms. He didn't want to use one. And so I just kind of, I got to this place of like, oh my God, I can't, I can't do anything. And I could literally be in danger right now. So the best thing I can do is just to let this person do what they're going to try to do to me because I, they could hurt me. Like, I don't even know them that well. And I think a lot of women go through that. And so the internalized shame of like, I created that situation to happen um, was probably really resonating with some part of him who you know, I found out later was a sex addict and had done this with many different women. And, um, and there's a transmission when, when there's a shared level of like shame between two people in energetic science, this has been found to, um, be like a transmission line for sexually transmitted viruses and, and diseases, but on like a non-metaphysical level, it's just, um, it keeps your body in a state of intense self-hatred and self-hatred is very depleting for the immune system. <laughs> it's really hard on your stress response. It's really hard on, um, you know, your ability to help yourself gets really, you know, psychologically blocked and on, on a very like physical level, it takes a huge toll on the body and it manifests in a lot of people as alcohol addictions and porn addictions and, you know, um, self-harming. It can be like any, any form of self-harm from like cutting yourself to doing drugs to, um, eating disorders, all of that comes from shame. So, yeah. And I found it in whenever I've worked with anyone who's, um, gotten HPV or HSV, which is a herpes simplex viruses, um, there's always some kind of reconnection to shame. I don't know why. I just know that somehow sexually transmitted viruses have a resonance with them and the way that they make you hate yourself and hate your body and hate these very vulnerable, precious parts of you is very common. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's interesting to look at viruses which are typically like you know 
we associate with something that can't be healed that something that okay well western medicine says you can't so you can't right we, we like put our trust into this so much and hearing a different perspective and it's not just you know one client it's not just two clients you've worked with a lot of clients who have experienced healing for conditions that we were told can't be healed or not even can't be healed like it just wasn't even a conversation you know yeah exactly There's no it's medication like for it yeah. yeah yeah and and that's the other thing too is the amount of like the medication world um because I've had I've worked with a lot of people that have chronic illness too and chronic disease and it's funny because I'm not like I'm a physical healer but it's when you work <laughs> with the emotional states of people physical symptoms will diminish yeah. especially if they're intense a lot of the time yeah. and we can get into that later but the the um the the level of money that is made from suppression of symptoms versus looking at the cause and the root of why they are there mm -hmm. is insane like insane if you look at between even if you were to just look at herpes medication alone I mean, I, I don't know how much money they make, but I do know that like something like 85% either has um, like cold sores on their mouth or then there's the genital type of herpes too. But um, it's crazy because you're, it's just going to keep, it's, it's kind of like putting, it's, it's like a lawnmower to weeds mm. versus like taking the weed out by the root. Yeah. And so no matter how much you lawn mow, it's going to grow back that's what suppression of symptoms are. Same with chronic illness and chronic disease or chronic pain. It's like, okay, cool. Here's a pain medication. And then you're addicted to pain meds. Yeah. And, or, you know, here's an antidepressant medication. Instead of looking at where's the core of your trauma coming from, it's here, just cover that up. It's just going to keep coming up. And, um, I mean, as we get into the history of it, what you start to see is that the people who created and own the pharmaceutical industries, um, they're not doctors, they are businessmen and they always have been. There's, there's never been a time where the people that created, um, or the people that, excuse me, the people that are running the pharmaceutical industries have been healers. They have looked at it like a market and they have influenced the curriculum um, to sell their product. And that is what we have invested our trust in. And it's creating a severely sick and dying and like festering and dying culture that is in massive need of um, the, the therapies they have now labeled our alternative. Mm. which the funny thing about that we can get into that too is um it's funny to label something that's been around for the entire existence of humanity alternative when the thing that you have invented is new mm -hmm. and <laughs> is alternative to thousands and thousands and thousands of years of wisdom and healing okay. it's kind of like they they tend to do this this flip thing of oh that's bad mm -hmm. or that's that's an alternative thing when it's really like it's just gaslighting. <laughs> it's like, we're going to do this thing that's new and then call your, your thing, you know, new or, or create a word that's like, it's a side, yeah. side project. Yeah. Like diminish it so that it just exactly. sounds stupid or it yeah. sounds not as good. And we're just going to label this and pay to label this as good. Yeah. <clears throat> 
it's like the whole FDA, the like trust that everybody has in the vaccine and everything that's going on, which I haven't talked about that on my podcast, but more than welcome to bring in any conversations about that. But the trust that's like, okay, well now it's FDA approved versus your experience with being on birth control, which was FDA approved. And now look at all of that. Or Shantix has been recently been taken off of that list of being safe. And even as a dietitian, we were taught like, well, there's a, you know, the FDA regulates this and that and that, but it was never a question of, well, who's behind it, even though we were taught to look in science of conflicts of interest, and you have to say that then if there's a conflict of interest or not, but yet that's not being taken into consideration now in today's 2021, Uh and it's not being taken into consideration with the questioning of the integration of all of these different markets that are supposedly supposed to make us healthy right when those markets are the same people that regulate our um you know tv advertisements which i don't even know what they look like now i don't own tv but they're worse than probably the last time you watched tv recently i I watched tv and because it popped up on my screen and i was like wow this is longer and longer ads Mm. for all the for all the same things for the antidepressants anti-anxiety for the it's all for medication. Yeah. And the thing that got me when I was younger, when I was like stuck in a bedroom, just like watching TV was like, why are the side effects so long? And (laughs) it's like this happy puppy running through a field of daisies. And people somehow (laughs) say yes to this. Like I'm not anti-medication. I think being anti anything is just like, you need to kind of look at the whole picture and look at all yeah, sides yeah. and you can, you know, look at it from now. I wouldn't call myself anti-medication, but from a young age, I would be like, oh, I have a headache. Pa- my parents would be like, here's Tylenol. I'm like, I don't like that. Even as like a, you know, a young child, they would try and give me medication. I'm like, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. It was just something always innate in me that I was like, mm-hmm. something's going on and I'm 99% of the time fine and I'm still here and I'm 29 years old almost. You know what I mean? So like the minute I tell my family, like I had some like swollen hands uh, from like getting some sort of amp bites. I know you had that last week too, or two weeks ago, my feet were huge. And my dad was like, oh my goodness, go to the doctor. And I'm like, it's been a day and they're really itchy and they will go down. And today they're a lot less and tomorrow, you know, like it will be fine. And just the reliance of the, population on like just blindly following because it's in their face on the tv and they don't question anything is very interesting because how do you listen to a a medication commercial and then you hear five minutes of everything including death and you say fuck yes please give that to me Mm -hmm. as opposed to what else can i do with that or instead of that yeah, the instead of is interesting, right? Because that doesn't even come into the picture with um, with healing at all. I remember one time, I think part of why people take it is because the doctor's like, oh, well, it's very slim chances of, of having the side effects happen, mm-hmm. um, which is also not true. It's just they happen over time. But I remember this one time I had staph infection on my arm. And, um, I have a pretty gnarly scar from it because it was a kind of staph infection. I got it in Guatemala and it wouldn't like, I was going to everything that I could and nothing was healing it. So I went to, I finally went to the doctor and they threw steroids at it. They threw, um, you know, antibiotics at it. They threw all sorts of stuff at it. And there was this one woman who I could tell that she was Indian 
mm-hmm. when she was older and she was like oh yeah you said what do you study like she saw my I have a, a tattoo of crystals on my arm and she was like oh crystals you like crystals like I like crystals too and I was like oh this is interesting <laughs> so I, I kind of t- I talked to her about how I studied alternative forms of healing and she was like oh yeah my mom uses Ayurveda because Ayurveda is the common medicine in India and she was the first generation here so she got like a really rich background of her mom like giving her all of these different Ayurvedic um, remedies for things and and I said so what would your mom tell me to put on this wound because I don't know how to heal it and everything that you guys have told me to put on it isn't working and she said um well I'm not allowed to say that as a doctor but and then she like told me a couple herbs that she would recommend um which I did take that they're really good for immune system and antibacterial antimicrobial but it was like she had to whisper it you know, it was like, she could get fired and she could, she said that she's like, I could get fired for telling you these things. And it was just such a weird experience to be like, like that, that, that ongoing feeling in the background of you're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed to use those words. You're not allowed to bring in this information. You're not allowed to, or something bad will happen, right? As an alternative healer, you'll get sued or as a doctor, you will get fired. And so that kind of thing was also, you know, also very interesting. And I'm also not anti-medication either. I just think it's in specific times for specific reasons, not for ongoing, ongoing things. I mean, I have, I have a family, depression runs in my family and I have a family member who's been on antidepressants for, since I was 14 and I'm 30 right now. So 16 years, antidepressants have not even been around for that much longer than how long he's been on them so the studies of the long-term effects are not even we don't know what they are yet and there have been some pretty severe red flags that have had to be changed in this person's medication multiple times because of how it's affecting their system so um yeah the whole thing the more you start listening to the thing in the background, that's like, this feels weird. This feels funky. And I think a lot of, I think a lot more people with the vaccine right now are, um, are really skeptical than we kind of get shown. I actually have a really high suspicion that there's a lot more people that are like, what? Like, this is weird. Like there's something that's weird. There's something that feels off with this, not like from the lens of, you know, I'm anti and like, fuck everyone. But from the lens of like, I don't know, like, why does this feel weird yeah. that um, is happening? And I think a bit in big part, it's how their marketing for it is, is pushed in such a violent and aggressive um, way. Like they've created whole campaigns and yeah. group consciousness around it. That's really aggressive. Yeah. And I think people are like, that doesn't feel good. Yeah. It's interesting because we, see the fear being spewed onto doctors, not just now, but in general, even with Hunter, my dog who has seizures and 
I asked the doctor about CBD and she's like, I can't speak about that in the state of Texas. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like it's nothing is going to happen. I could literally go to the store and I'm just like, they're happening often and it's nothing's helping. And I really don't want to put him on this medication. He's young. They advised against the medication. So am I just going to let him die of a seizure? Like I can't do that. Mm. Started giving him CBD. It started decreasing all of the symptoms of it. And she was just like, well, I've seen people use it and they've reported that they've had success with it versus her just saying, fuck yes, please use your dog because I care about your dog. You know, it's almost like the actual purpose (laughs) that the medical system claims to do or the media claims to, you know, do with us is just completely neglected. It's not from a place of purpose. It's not from a place of impact. It's just from a place of like, we can do whatever the fuck we want and you're going to believe it and we get to profit off of it and like the sicker you guys stay (laughs) the more you pay you know hundreds of dollars each month for your dog medication Mm -hmm. you know the better off we are in in some way and to me that even feels like there's some massive loop missing because I feel like there's only so much money you could fucking have and still fucking want more but like maybe I'm just not those people I don't know maybe I don't know the whole picture but like it doesn't feel like it's like, okay, they want more money, so keep us sick. Like, it feels like there's something massive missing in that. Yeah. I mean, I think a huge amount of it is power and control over the masses, you know? A lot of what we look Mm -hmm. at is, and this sounds sounds very conspiracy theory-esque, but for a big reason, like, the actual word conspiracy is is very much what this is. If you look up the definition of it and not the, um, you know whatever wigged out dude smoking weed in his basement idea that we have about what that means but um a huge amount of um what goes on behind the scenes of politics is run by money you pay enough money to a campaign you pay enough money to a corporation you pay enough money to um any kind of industry you pay enough money to universities and a lot of the time it's looked at like philanthropy i'm I'm just giving this massive amount of funding to X, Y, and Z, you know, but then I have influence over what X, Y, and Z then do, because if I don't give you this money, then you're not going to win or you're not going to grow in the, the level that you could if you accept this offer. And if I'm going to give you this offer, there's conditions behind it and there's contracts behind it. And, um, ultimately that's, that's really what's happening behind the scenes. I think a lot of the time, you know, it, it's been really funny for me to watch. I mean, terrible, but like watching someone like Bill Gates, where you just watch him and you're like, you're not, you never went to medical school. You're not a doctor. And yet you are seen as this incredible philanthropist who's such a good person, but you are, have massive enforcement, um, massive, what's the word I'm looking for influence over the world health organization or the CDC or, you know, there's, and so the conflicts of interest in, in things like that um, are really interesting. And you had said conflicts of interest earlier. It's like, when you start to look into, like, I think there should be a law that there cannot be monopolies on medicine. Uh, I think there should be a law that you cannot be a part. And there are laws that try to protect this, that you can't, be you can't have stocks or funds or influence in places that have conflicts of interest but when you get to really studying these people um, that are 
essentially they have so much money that they can be above the law and they can operate behind the scenes quite a bit. They don't need, they're not politicians, but they own like multi-billion dollar businesses and companies. Um, They get around it a lot of the time through marrying people that are part of organizations that they're not allowed to be a part of and things like this. And I think, you know, we start to hear this stuff and people are like, oh, there's no way they like people could be that organized or there's like someone that's, or some group of people that are so evil. And it's like, well, yes and no. Like there's definitely groups of people. If there's groups of people that can create a corporation, that takes a shit ton of people and a shit ton of organization. So if you just bring that thinking and you scale it up, there are, these people are smart, you know, and they, they have ways of creating control over um, multinational, yeah, multi, multinational, what, what would you call that? Whatever word ends that sentence. <laughs> they have a multinational effect. And I think a big part of it is, is for control and for power. But I do think behind that, I mean, my true belief is that this kind of stuff, whether you look at the shit that's in our water, you know, if you look at, um, that just like, you know, really is, is bad for our systems. We don't need to be drinking bleach. I don't care how many amounts of it. We don't need to be drinking fluoride. We don't need to be drinking all the stuff that they put into tap water. Um, it's bad for us over time, but it's also like your body builds up toxins. And when your body builds up toxins, you have less energy to be clear and clean, like clear and focused and awake. And it's easier to, to kind of be in this groggy gray zone and antidepressants do the same thing and pain medications do the same thing. And you start to look at like, if you're suppressing symptoms, your body's energy and your body's ability to very clearly have, to have clear thoughts, clear discernment, enough energy to make decisions or even think in nuance, you know, it's, it's hard because there's so much energy that is put into just trying to keep you alive. Whereas if you have a clean body, your consciousness is a lot more clear. You have the ability to question things a lot more. And I think that, you know, this is very conspiracy, conspiracy theory oriented, but like, I do believe that if we are kept dumb, they know that if we're kept like dumbed down, that we don't, we're not in our power. You know, we don't have the ability to ask the questions like what we're, you and me are talking about right now. Um, And they can just go on their merry way and do whatever they're doing. Why they do it, I have no clue. Yeah. I, I assume that you have to have some massive form of psychopathy or sociopathy or at least a massive amount of narcissism to think that you have that much say over the human, yeah. you know, what humans do. Um, and I think that's probably true. Yeah. You know, without a doubt, you at least have to be like sociopathic mm. to be like, I'm going to sell this thing that I know actually can kill people over time, yeah. but I don't care. Yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, I think it's really, I think the thing that you said about, um, people being in their power and questioning things and, stuff like that. And I think it relates back to the story of when you had, uh, when you were raped, I think it relates back to any sort of shame that it's just easier to be in this place of powerlessness. And like, I always say that like people have no good, no idea of how good their body is meant to feel or their body can Mm. feel. 
-hmm. and just working with so many people in the chronic disease like realm um which i was diagnosed with a lot as well <laughs> um and now i'm fine <laughs> but uh there's this sense of powerlessness that I don't have power over doing anything to my body. I can't speak up. Like when I was diagnosed with PCOS, there was no talk of like what the underlying connection was. Um, there was no talk of um, what the stress on my hormones was being caused by. No talk of me massively under eating because I was of a normal weight. Um, no talk of me having a massive binge eating disorder and starving myself, no talk of the amount of exercise I did, no talk about my emotional body, the stress levels I had, like nothing. It was just like, well, you're of a normal weight. You don't have to lose weight. You already work out all the time. Then let's just put you on birth control. And I just remember hysterically crying. Like I have to be on a medication for a prolonged period of time for something that caused my cyst to uh, erupt on my ovary and like ended up in the hospital. And they're like, oh no, you're fine. Your ovaries fine. Leave after like 13 hours and who knows how much they build my uh, insurance for at the time. But um, I just remember like, this doesn't feel right. And then month after month I would take it and I would go back and I would say, I am a miserable asshole. I am moody. I hate my life. This is not me. I don't understand why I feel this way. They're like, oh, well, just give it some more time and it will, um, <laughs> the symptoms will lessen, aka you will become numb to them. Like my symptoms didn't lessen. I was like that up until I met you, which we can get into mm. that story. Um, my <laughs> symptoms did not lessen. I just got used to being that way where I didn't perceive it as something that was abnormal anymore because I was like that for so many years. They even changed exactly. it. I was on the lowest dosage possible in birth control history. And then I work with you. I got, got off my birth control a little bit before I met you. I went vegan and I did a lot of other things. Stopped malnourishing myself. Surprise, people. That works. Um, stopped over-exercising, you know. And um, I started getting my period again for the first time ever. And I was like, this feels amazing. Don't like the blood, but like it's something you deal with. And then I started working with you and just any sort of symptom that I had from having PCOS, any sort of constipation that I had from being diagnosed with IBS at like 17 and then putting me on chronic laxatives at 17, which was the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I will say that and I will stand by that statement. Um, it, like all of that just diminished. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, I didn't know what to do in those moments when these doctors didn't know what to do. I felt powerless and I felt only powerful in being able to take this medication because this is supposed to work versus everything in me knowing that my body should be functioning properly. There, there's something underneath this and within 15 minutes, you know, like multiple people told me, um, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing more I can do. You're fine. And I'm like, I'm not fine. You know? Yeah, this this reminds me of um, I did a poll recently on my Instagram around birth control mm -hmm. and hormonal issues, and the results were really like they were what I expected, but it was extremely impactful for me and I think a lot of other women to see them back to back to back to back because the experience you're talking about is something that I think a lot of us go through alone. 
because you're alone in that room and it's you and the doctor and there's a certain quality and everyone said that there was a certain feeling of pressure shaming being made to feel stupid for asking if there is anything else being made to feel stupid for asking if um the asking about alternative therapies being made to feel like you know like yeah any iteration of stupid like you're an idiot like you know less than like why would you even bring that up and even like asking questions made you a bad person because the the feeling of the practitioner would get really annoyed and whether it is that they can't answer those questions or they're they are indoctrinated many of them into to alternative therapies are not they they don't work it leaves you feeling hopeless and like you've done something wrong and it's i so many women i had probably like 35 women that um experienced this uh, same kind of thing and reiterated it back but to your point too about what you went through and and what we worked on um yeah if you have ongoing anxiety if you have ongoing um you know these thing about anxiety a lot of us feel it yeah we feel it in our chest but there's a very specific kind of feeling in the gut and the lower part of the body and for a lot of people it can feel like there's vacancy there you can't even feel yourself there that causes a disconnection and a disorientation of the digestive system. So that is what created the IBS and it is what creates uh, hormonal issues and it is what creates imbalances in the system because we, our body is on high alert. And when your body's on high alert because you have a sustained trauma, so like for you, there was um, you know, unprocessed grief there that we looked at, there was just a feeling of, of like an immense amount of pressure that you would put on yourself, which is very common for high achievers. There's, um, you know, there's so many emotional components um, that, that came from growing up in a certain way where you were only allowed to express certain things. You weren't held in certain ways. Uh, certain parts of your emotional process weren't even allowed and they were put to the side. And um, it's very common for for most people unfortunately and so you develop what happens in the body when that occurs is that over time you develop these patterns of coping but those patterns of coping keep us on high alert when you're on high alert your body is not interested in digesting food and it's not interested in having a period because it feels like it may have to pack up and leave immediately and run from a tiger you know and um sustained stress like that over time from developmental things that happened when we were young and unexpressed emotions and you know these kinds of things they they almost act like the body is in a low state of ptsd mm-hmm. even though there wasn't maybe one i mean i think for you there was a couple really specific moments and and times but there was also like a learned way of being to survive um that i think we look at like trauma from the lens of oh you know you were in a war and clearly you're going to have PTSD from being in a war and that's going to mess your body up. But we also don't look at like, oh, you weren't allowed to express a really core emotion of fear or grief or sadness or um, pain. And so you had to learn to cope and act like it wasn't there. We don't think about that as post-traumatic stress disorder, you, you know, but, but that's also on a lot of, a lot of times what creates chronic illness. It's what creates chronic disease. Almost every person that I have worked on that has chronic pain that heals from it 
we're not looking at the pain of the physical body. We're looking at the trapped emotions from being in an extreme state of fear. A lot of the time from being abused or from being um, in just a really dangerous situation over time or being neglected. So yeah, you can't heal that stuff with, with the medication. And I feel like there is a very big conspiracy over why those things aren't taught about in Western Mm -hmm. medicine. Because if you heal someone from a chronic illness, you no longer have a customer. Yeah. But if you keep them on certain medications, you know, then they'll keep coming back to you because, and that's how you feel is you feel like it's your only option because that's how they convey it. Mm -hmm. Nothing else really works, you know? Yeah. So. And then also to compound on the fact that it's not even taught, um, most people monetarily can struggle to afford Mm -hmm. any sort of healing, uh, whether it is going to a doctor or getting insurance um, or, you know, going to a therapist or going to a coach. And there's a big struggle monetarily for them, not saying that anybody should work for not the amount that they deserve at all. Like we can all set our own prices, but it makes it less accessible. Like my mind was thinking when you said like PTSD for more that um, veterans highly rely on their insurance from the war, often struggle to work afterwards and stuff like that. And as a dietitian, some dietitians work there. There was an arena where I was like, really want to help people. That seems like a great population to work with. And then when I started um, seeing my clients like not respond to food and exercise recommendations as a dietitian and personal trainer, um, I was just like, well, if they're not, it's not going to help them. It's not going to help people who have severe PTSD. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what trauma was. I didn't even know that that word existed, like head trauma, sure, but not like internal mm-hmm. trauma. And uh, I was just like, that doesn't seem like I'm going to make any sort of a difference. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I could fuck around with them and be like funny with them you know, but like, Mm -hmm. that's really it. So it's like, if, even if people were taught that this was a thing, making it accessible would be really difficult because money is such a big thing as well. Yeah, I know. Well, that's, and that's my mom and I talk about this a lot because she works in hospitals, she works in three different hospitals and the infrastructure of the hospitals. And there's just, it's such a complex, nuanced thing where I feel like I'm like, mom, I have the answer to this. And then I start talking to her and she's, I'm just like, fuck, this is so complex. Like, it's not just the amount of money that the hospitals make and how they underfund the people that are working for them. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you do? I mean, for her, she, one of the things she said is, um, what do you do if you have a, you know, a elderly man who fell down the stairs and, um, you know, now he needs to be taken care of 24 seven and his wife who was his caretaker also was working a full-time job to feed them. And now she has to stop working her full-time job to take care of the man, but she doesn't know how to take care of the man in the hospital. You know, like there's this, and then they have stairs like that he has to walk up and down to enter their house. Like there's all these complexities that you don't think about. And she thinks about them from the vantage point of a physical therapist. Um, But that are really you know, it's, it's hard. And I think that that's why in a lot of ways, um, at least with the hospital systems, like it, there's a, there can be a lot of hopelessness, I think, around fixing it. And I think it is something that's going to, 
needs to happen over time but it's interesting to see where like philanthropy and I don't know if you want to go into that on this episode but the the history of like how the medical industry has been kind of influenced by the pharmaceutical uh, companies but the the philanthropy around like if I, I think about what those companies give money to like what if they gave money to alternative healing clinics and we had those everywhere and that was just a service that was available for people and you know it seems to be that in countries that healthcare is really high quality and is taken as such and is given to all of its people there's more people that do thrive and that is one level of um you know that i think the I'm I'm very middle when it comes to politics, but the liberal side of the spectrum really does hold that I do really believe in. But again, if you just apply that to our healthcare system as it is with all of the errors that we've talked about, then are you really going to solve the problem or are you just going to give more pills? Um, pills work specifically and surgery, by the way, is an amazing innovation of Western medicine, like massive ancient medicines had kind of surgeries but not like the technology and and those things um so there is a place for science and i think alternative medicine could come together but yeah if you rebuilt the infrastructure um and everyone had free healthcare, that would be amazing but are the healthcare workers getting paid enough so that and are they staffed enough so that they have the energy to give in a good way and also um yeah behind that are the um the ways that are being, you know, practitioned actually helpful in the long run, or are they just sustaining the illnesses that they're trying to, you know, prevent and possibly causing other ones too? Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I, I wrote a note down here that came to me as you were talking before mm. I sneezed, <laughs> um, was that we look at other countries and, we assume that when they aren't practicing Western medicine, those of us who are ignorant to the way actual other countries like run, which I totally am, um, I assume that they're all sick. I assume mm-hmm. that they all are just walking around and <laughs> are insanely sick and have no help and all this stuff. And then it's just like, well, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That kind of sounds <laughs> like I'm describing us. <laughs> but I, yeah, totally, but totally. My brain is like, Mm, but we have Western medicine. We're better in some way. Yeah. I mean, and in certain, with certain specific things like parasites or like, you know, there are definitely things that um, having, again, pharmaceutical medicines can really help, but, you know, we're not, maybe we're not as in as much poverty or you don't see as much poverty. But if you look at obesity rates in Western culture, they're way Mm -hmm. more than in, you know, third world countries. Um, and I do think there's a merging of the two that, that really like everything that's coming out with laser therapies and with different kinds of healing technologies and, and with things like the, like an MRI machine or Mm -hmm. these different ways of scanning the body to get really, really specific on what's going on in it. Amazing. But here's the thing with an MRI machine, for example, you're looking for like a very specific thing in the brain. If you don't have the entire holistic system of how a human being works, which Western medicine doesn't because it's so 
hyper concentrated on fixing the one thing, not fixing the source of where it's coming from, then um, there are incredible miracles that can happen, right? Like you can, um, you know, use laser technology to target a tumor in the brain, which is amazing. And, you know, depending on the situation, depending on the circumstance, there are things that could also be healed through alternative healing medicines. And if those two systems were working together, then we would be thriving. Um, then we would really have, I think, the future of what medicine can be. But we have to be, you know, it can't be driven. It can't be driven by money yeah. and the history of how this this whole thing has been hijacked is really it's intense. Like it came from oil moguls. It didn't come from healers. It came from people that learned how to synthesize plants with oil and were like, oh, okay, well, we already, you know, the Rockefellers owned all the oil. They were oil moguls. They owned all of the, the oil refinery um, places and the oil mining places. And then they were like, well, what else can we do with petroleum? And pharmaceuticals are petroleum-based. And so they realized, wow, we can synthesize plants. And what they did was they put a massive amount of money into Oxford, Stanford, like all of these really prestigious schools. And they said, we're going to give you all this money, the philanthropy thing again. Here's all this money that we're going to give you. Um, in exchange, we just want to influence your curriculum a bit because we've found new medic medicines that are going to advance us more than we have been. Mm -hmm. And so essentially they taught every, they influenced the curriculum so that they started to take out herbology and nutrition. And they started to take out um, uh, homeopathy as well was really, really big at that time and still is big in different parts of the world. But it was like booming in Europe and in, it was booming over here as well. They started to take homeopathy out and they said, um, they labeled all those things alternative. They taught very little about them and they started influencing and teaching how to use and prescribe pharmaceutical medicines. And that was essentially the beginning of the change into what we see as modern Western medicine, but it was influenced by money. It, and it was really well marketed and people I think go, well, what, like, there's no way that that, you know, happened in that way. And it's like, if you can't believe that, look, ask your grandma about when there were commercials of doctors smoking cigarettes, telling people that cigarettes were healthy. That was a very real thing that happened that my grandparents remember. And, you know, and there were doctors that were smoking cigarettes from those campaigns. Um, so it's not really a far shoot. The medicine can be bought out by marketing, right? Um, and the tobacco company clearly is different than the pharmaceutical company, but same thing. They had a bunch of money and a bunch of influence and they told doctors to say something. And the way that we look at doctors as leaders, we just kind of go, well, you're the one that studied in this. So, you know, best and, you know, believe them essentially so i have a, a family friend um who we consider family who is a doctor and he's probably about five to six hundred pounds which is not saying you cannot be obese and morbidly obese and be a doctor you totally can um but when i became a registered dietitian he was selling oh it pains me to say this and like there's no way he's gonna listen to this and if he does cool i hope you <laughs> change your methods um but he was telling me to 
not become a dietitian. And instead he was part of like an MLM that was making like, it was basically like astronaut food. Like it was freeze dried food that you like rehydrated. And, and then he was selling a fat zapping machine that it was like you, it looked like a tanning bed and it zapped your fat cells. So apparently you peed them out. I believe that's the method. I could be wrong with that, but that was the thing. And he's like, I lost 40 pounds on it. You should promote this. And at the time I was a personal trainer studying to be a dietitian. I was just like, smacking my head I was just like yeah. oh geez I'm like okay well this is the last time I'm ever gonna come to you I love you but like from afar <laughs> yeah and yeah. um the amount of money that he made off of this because mm-hmm. his patients trusted him yep totally. um is sickening mm-hmm. um you can eat real broccoli people <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't need to sit in a tanning bed to fat to zap your your fat cells um and the trust that we put in other people over listening to ourselves I think is a topic that is not talked about or not encouraged at all especially in the medical world and when all of us have gone to doctors who prescribe something and we felt off about it and we didn't listen to that um, or we're in a scenario where we thought that we were wrong automatically and we didn't listen to that part of ourselves that was like smacking us and be like hello no Mm -hmm. because we are taught to respect other people over ourselves and it's like making us more disconnected from our bodies, if that's even possible at this point, and from listening to ourselves and like being here somewhere in your body versus just like, cool, what should I do? Tell me what to do, everybody. I'm sick. Yeah. You know? And like That's really what it is. Tell me what to do. Yeah. Because I I don't know. You know better. Mm-hmm. you know and, and they should they should but we should yeah. be also able to ask questions like that's always a red flag for me is like when I can't ask questions or if there's monetary incentive for you prescribing me something yeah yeah it's like that's really where it gets again like money and medicine should not go together yeah because yeah. when they do you end up you end up with a lack of integrity and it just plays it plays on the lower nature of humans and that can get into a whole systemic thing too like why are we in a place where we feel the need to compromise our own integrity to sell something when it's not you know i mean and it's hard too because it's like i think they do that with with different medications i know they did that with birth control as well yeah you know it's like you get more incentive if you can prescribe or you get more you get paid more if you prescribe this to people Yeah, I think that um, we've gotten so far away from what science actually is, which is just questioning everything, even you question the results of your study. And there's, I've never seen any like conclusive evidence. Every single study that I've ever read says more research should be done. There's always more research to be done. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there's a lack of ability to question, there's a lack of the scientific mind doctors dietitians, anybody trained in that realm to question what they're learning when inherently science is the practice of questioning Mm -hmm. and digging deeper. Like it just, it doesn't make sense because I read it in a textbook doesn't mean that it's true. There are tons of things I read in textbooks that 
were not helpful <laughs> to my practice of helping yeah. humans in the least bit. Um, and it depends on what teacher I had. One teacher said this and one teacher said mm-hmm. this. One textbook said this, one textbook said that. One doctor says this, one doctor says that. So it's just like this whole idea, especially right now of, well, listen to the science. Well, you can find evidence most likely for anything you want to promote. And I'm sure the fat zapping machine really worked. (laughs) I'm sure there was science behind that to get them in doctor's offices. But there was also massive marketing. You know, there's science showing low carb diets and even worse, keto can, you know, and worse in some scenarios, keto can do that. And then there's high carb diets and then this and then that. So it's like question the science, but like the only way that you can learn what is actually meant for you is by listening to you and absolutely no doctor can, Mm -hmm. can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like for, at least for me, there's a huge, like, I should be able to ask questions. I should be able to go, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or what about this? Or what? Because that's what science is. Like I saw this hilarious meme the other day that it was like the epitome of science is like, let's fuck around and find out, you know. (laughs) And and there is a level of like scientists are constant. If you know real scientists, like real fucking scientists, I went to a school for three years with a bunch of computer engineers that were studying metaphysics and spirituality and like meditation, which is a very interesting place to be. Because normally those two things don't go together. And and yet spiritual science, there is like a way to to scientifically study meditation um, and consciousness. We just haven't thought about that because we split them so much. But one of the things I learned about scientists is that they are so freaking skeptical of everything all the time. Like that is how scientists are. So this whole this whole concept of trust the science like scientists don't trust the science that's why they're scientists they have entire careers actually of going "Mm, well that was that thing but let's look at this way or let's look at it from this angle or let's redo that study five times or let's do it in those multiple clinical trials and and then again like who's funding the trial so for me a lot of it is when people like well you're you're anti-vax or you're you're a conspiracy conspiracy theorist It's more like, I know the shadow of what money does to humans. And I understand how psychology works, trauma works, and marketing works. And when you understand all of those things together, and you understand how the subconscious works, and you look at who owns the media, so you go back to the money piece, who owns the media? And when I say own, people are like, no one owns the media. Yeah, people own the media. Go all the way up the chain, follow the money all the way up the chain, there's a handful of people who own all of the mainstream <clears throat> all of the mainstream media and yes that includes things like BBC and things that we think are central um, they're owned by multi-billionaires and the news just like how Facebook's owned by Mark Zuckerberg and Instagram is also now owned by him too but like <laughs> you have to look at like what do they want what are their motives from that level and then start to look at how they know how to play on human psychology, how they know how to play on weaknesses that we have, how they know how to repeat the same messages over and over again, and how they have every ability to go, let's do a clinical trial and we need these results. And there's so many pharmaceutical and like different, different studies that have been done and doctors that have come out that are like, We're, we need to do a clinical trial to prove this thing is right. So this is the result that we need 
that we're going to pay for from this clinical trial. And, you know, it's not that, I, I think that it really where these things fall apart is where people compromise their own integrity for money, for power, or literally because they're threatened by these massive, you know, corporate corporations. So when you look at like all the different levels of influence, um, you know, I mean, goddamn, I, that my, my upbringing has shown me, at least from what I've seen in politics and the media and multi-billionaires, like you bet your ass, I'm going to question some super rich, narcissistic white dudes. <laughs> like, for sure. Look at every horrible thing that's happened over a long span of time. Like not every horrible thing, but you know, it's, it's normally driven by, um, monetary incentive. And even before we had the money system that we had, it's about the land that you get or the gold coins or whatever. Like we know that this is what happens in humanity. It's happened over and over again from greed. And I do think that that's kind of where things lose, their original intention and then just get caught up in, yeah, in all sorts of other agendas. Yeah. And I don't think that it's possible, or I do think that it's possible to individually, you know, step out of those paradigms and question them. But, you know, to your point, like it should be, I feel like it should be important that we can question, we can ask questions, we can go like, well, what about this? What about that? But if things are being censored the way that they are, yeah. I've got to ask, well, who owns the platforms that are censoring the things and what stocks are they invested in? And, yeah. you know, I'll go Any- back to the money thing. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I share anything about, um, from somebody speaking their truth about everything going on it my engagement drops about yeah 80% for about yeah. a week or two and i'm yeah. like and i'm torn in this place between um <laughs> promoting my business and what i do for my livelihood and helping people or like sharing something that i believe is true and mm-hmm. that i want other people to hear you know it's just and there's a lot of other people in that space as well and tons uh, of people yeah. yeah and i'm not I here think, to- I think they've been cracking it on more yeah even when you share anything off of tiktok because tiktok is a is a more free platform how is this a thing mm-hmm. is a more free platform it takes about an hour or two to actually upload even if it's not about covid and everything going on i share something about like as humans right now we lick each other's poo holes but when like a fork drops on the floor we ask for a new fork yeah yeah. like do with like a british accent i found it funny it took about Uh two hours to upload because they had to check it and do whatever they needed to before it went up um yeah which is insane i was just talking about some poop some poop holes and some uh forks (laughs) totally totally yeah it's crazy the amount of like you know, I feel like I'm back when AOL Instant Messenger started and it was cool to spell things with all the little symbols on our keyboards <laughs> just so that I don't get flagged with a like this guideline thing. The thing though for that, I don't know if you saw this, but the hashtag natural immunity. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Yeah. Oh my God. 
if you type in just so that your audience knows right now, if you type in natural immunity, which by the way, is literally just the concept and the knowledge that is in Western medicine. It's not even outside of Western medicine, but you have this thing called an immune system. It naturally adapts to things and it learns to heal things through itself, especially if it's healthy. If you're in a healthy body, you have not a ton of stress, all of that, but um, you know, you have natural, you have an immune system. It's natural. It's been given to you. You were born with it. We've had them for since forever. They're a huge reason why we are still alive. Um, so the hashtag natural immunity is, uh, at first you click it and it says, are you looking for vaccine information? And then you go, no, I want to see this page. And then you click through and it says, um, this hashtag has been banned because it goes against community guidelines. Now that could be because of certain things that were being shared with the hashtag, but the very nature of, and I think this is the thing that you commented, you responded to me on my story is that this is the same thing they did with alternative healing, but now they're doing it just with the concept that you have a natural immune system that heals things by itself, you know, that, that can, that has the ability to fight things that has the ability to heal things. And I think the undercurrent of kind of the, the weird frequency within all of this, um, that we're talking about is it's Mm anti-life. It's, it's anti-trusting the body. Yeah. There's something that's just like, you can't trust your body. You need to trust us. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of your body and there's not knowledge in these realms, but the underlying fear behind your body is against you. Listen to us. Tell, we'll tell you what to do with it. Yeah. Isn't empowering (laughs) no, (laughs) at all. Yeah. I think the, the word healthy itself, because you said, as long as you're in a healthy body and there's a lot of, Mm. um, people, you know, on social media platforms and even the media right now saying that, well, he was healthy and he was 35 years old with no pre-existing conditions. Well, what are you determining as healthy? Because I think my definition of health is way more than just not having pre-existing conditions and having a heart attack. You know what I mean? Or, you know, or, you know, being on uh, some insane medication, not, I say insane, meaning like, it's not like a Tylenol or something like something that Mm -hmm. is trying to treat something else. Um, I know plenty, I was deemed healthy when I had a massive eating disorder and, um, you know, and just massive anxiety every single day and couldn't function. And I had mouth sores everywhere. My GI system was all fucked up and every single doctor was like, you're fine. Just just take, uh, uh, you know, whatever laxatives. And their definition of healthy was that I was young. I wasn't fat per their recommendations. Um, but I wasn't like anorexic looking as like in quotes, because we put people into that realm when I clearly was anorexic. Um, you know what I mean? Like my lab values came back fine. So you're healthy. Mm -hmm. Well, no, like there was way more to look at in health. It's the same thing when they put me on birth control and they were supposed to test a certain marker in my blood for heart disease because my dad had heart disease and you know I was a lineage in my family for that. Mm-hmm. And because of the blood clotting, I was supposed to be tested for that. And no one tested me for it. And then I got a different gynecologist and she asked me, she's like, have you been tested for this? And I was like, no, she's like, you've been on birth control for four years? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, oh no, that's not good. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. in the same practice. It was her sister. Oh and my God. Have the same, you know? So it's just like yeah. this whole idea of 
me feeling like there was something going on that needed more attention than the medical system can give me mm-hmm. or was giving me at the time. And this whole like, oh, but you were healthy. Our definition of health needs to change. We've gotten so far away from, again, what your body can actually feel like and how good it can function and how much it can heal itself because we run around like headless fucking chickens all day. And I was a headless chicken before I met Jess. Like when you do a transformation picture of me or video of me, I don't know what picture you would use, just like detach my head and then put it back on because that would literally like (laughs) (laughs) depict (laughs) exactly what happened. Like I started actually listening to my body, you know? And um, we're trained out of that from such a young age too. It's like, we're not taught to develop I think it's to the, to your point, you know, like, like circling back around to the feeling of, well, I can't ask questions about what's going on. Or if I ask questions about what's going on, I get confused because I'm supposed to trust you as a doctor, but you're saying I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, you have a level of, again, like anxiety causes massive fucking stress to the body and that cortisol and that adrenal fatigue yeah is affecting every other aspect of your hormonal system and your functioning of the rest of your body your hormones rule your body especially if you're a woman but you know in general we have like teenagers just constantly ridden with anxiety now my friend's kid had anxiety and he was like 11 and i was like well i mean maybe i had an anxiety when i was 11 (laughs) there was no word for it no one diagnosed me with it but it was you know uh, on a huge level i think that we're not we, we separate mental health and physical health. And we also separate mental health and emotional well-being and understanding of emotions too. You know, it's like a lot of the time, even in, and I, I do believe the pharmaceutical company is companies are somehow in cahoots with the FDA or whatever, but there's an influencing in the psychological fields of college. So if we get out of like the medical industry, we go into psychology. Um, you're not, I have psychologists that are trained very well through universities that are coming to me to learn trauma healing and are coming to me to learn emotional healing that because what they were taught isn't again, contacting that source. They were taught how to prescribe or they were taught to do talk therapy. And the amount of times I've heard that I went to talk therapy and it doesn't work, you know, is insane. But we don't account for emotional or mental health in when we talk about health either, you know? And, and so it's easy to be like, Oh, well, that's just a physical symptom, but like you going through what you were going through, like the um, like anorexia or bulimia or all of those, like those are mental and emotional issues. Mm -hmm. um, But we don't account for those, you know? And you're kind of demonized even if you you bring them up then all of a sudden I remember I was suicidal when I was like 14 and I knew and I had therapists because my parents knew like something was wrong they didn't know so like well just send her to a therapist and make her go but I also knew that if I told them that I was cutting myself or if I told them I was suicidal they were going to send me to a mental institution so I didn't tell them I just spent tons of my parents money lying to therapists because they were going to pathologize me instead of like, help me look at the root of what was going on. And Mm -hmm. we don't look at those 
where you're kind of treated the same way, even though it's a different system with, um, you know, how, how you're marked as being, you know, okay or healthy or, oh, you're, you're fine. You're just dealing with something versus like, no, there is an underlying symptom going on and we're just not, we're really just not looking at those things. And we don't look at like vitamin, even vitamin D, you know, like people need to get, get your ass out into the sun, lay in it for 20 minutes, make sure your belly's in the sun because it's going to help your gut microbiome, all of these different things. Um, we don't, we don't look at those kinds of things. But put our cancerous sunblock on you first and then. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is FDA approved. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) <laughs> it's so weird around the same time that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine came out. I'm pretty sure that they had like flagged a bunch of their products for having, I forget what it was, but like really terrible chemicals that were cancer causing chemicals. And you're just like, Oh wow. This is yeah, strange. Whatever's going on, it's strange. And <laughs> the people that are closest to, you know, the source of nature as is un- uninterrupted by chemicals for the most part are the ones that tend to have the things that can cure the body. Mm-hmm. I think that the hardest thing is, you know, when you have like a biotoxin, like people have been around lots of pesticides or parasites where they have had mold in their house for, you know, years and years and years, like those things aren't going to heal overnight. Um, and especially when you've been exposed to chemicals, it can be really hard to heal that with herbal herbal medicines too but yeah yeah it feels like anything that is coming from the internal body needs to be healed internally however things external like any sort of impact any sort of like moldy stuff like things outside of the body seem to at least from what I'm hearing seem to respond um to like external things surgeries yeah different stuff like that and well you can detox because it's more natural but like chemicals and things that's where a lot of cancers can come from yeah like a lot of i had a teacher who he nothing he was like a lot of things you can treat with energetics and natural medicines the things that are really hard to treat with them are things that come from um like chemical toxins yeah you can detox the body but they just have such a hard hit, like something like a pesticide or, or a chemical has such a hard hit on, um, the, the organs of elimination, like the liver, gallbladder, kidneys that they can be like poisoned and it can be really hard to detox them. Not that you can't, but you said a lot of the cancers that are caused by things like Fukushima energetics, very energetics, emotional work, and some herbal supplements will definitely work, but if you've been really deeply exposed, it can be really, really hard to um, heal them, especially with just deep energy work. So any dietitian that's listening right now, when they hear the word detox, they cringe. And are oh, taught, really? Yeah, and we're taught automatically that that's a crock of shit because your liver and your kidneys detox you. Um, so I'm interested to know what... Um, that's yeah, and so I mean, sad more so, thought. yeah, but more so we're associating, to my knowledge, to my experience, 
um, detoxes with like, you know, skinny tea detoxes, stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bullshit but, detoxes. Yeah. But that word detox still carries over. Um, that's good to know. So I'm curious to know what you would, um, encourage yeah. to kind of look at. Yeah. So organs of elimination. So like the liver and like the kidneys, the limb system, like, well, the limb system is actually a good, let's start there. It doesn't drain itself. We all know that pretty much across the board, you need to do things to drain the limb system. It just, I don't know why it annoys me sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, you should do that, but it doesn't drain itself. Um, and so you need to do things to help it to, to drain, right? That's, it's also on the other end with, you have lymphatic cancer, you don't want to move the lymph system at all because it can move the cancer throughout your whole body. So you want to do the opposite and basically not move, not get massages, not do these things. Um, but the lymph system is another way to, to drain toxins out of the body. Right. And so, uh, the thing that I would say to look into, if you're like, Oh, detoxing is such bullshit. You already have organs that do that is yes, true. And, um, your, you know, engine in your car runs oil through it all the time, but are you going to make sure that you're changing your oil? Are going to make sure that you're clean, you have clean fluids moving through? And the truth is, if you don't, then it could fuck up your engine, mm-hmm. right? So it's not that we're like, oh, well, you know, there's already mechanics to do that. Yes, definitely. But are you tending to and upkeeping those organs of elimination so they can properly do their job? And that's what, um, like my favorite liver cleansing herb and, and tonifying. So there's cleansing. You can clear something out of toxins that build up and then there's like tonifying. So you can like strengthen, um, what the function of that organ does and herbs are amazing for this, but, um, dandelion root is a really good one. That's everyone, pretty much anyone can take. It's a really nice, like yummy tea at night, but really one of the things that I would, I want to point out is like your body is incredible at storing toxins away from your organs right? Your vital organs. Um, but if you don't give it the ability to let go of those toxins, or if it's holding up a lot over time, and let's say you're drinking alcohol or you're, you know, around, you're breathing in something like perfumes or different things that have chemicals in them. Um, often you can, you build up like anything, it's going to build up gunk, right? And so really when I say detox, what I mean is it's just supporting, I just got an echo. It's supporting the um, organs to do their job. So it's giving them rest from constantly having to do it all the time. Um, You know, if you're in a certain way, like you can think about eating food. If you're digesting food, constantly your digestive your gi tract has no break and when you do fasting which i'm sure is also probably poo-pooed on and looked down on um there are science there is scientific evidence that your system clearly not over like you don't want to do it too much because it can be bad for you um but your system can start to rebuild the walls of your gi tract or it can start to replenish these systems, now that they're resting, a different process can start to set in. And um, 
God, there's so many, as far as like studying detoxification, maybe what I can do is I can, um, give you some links to put in the show notes. Cause my partner knows a ton, a ton, ton more about it than I do, but, um, you know, different cleanses, not, not to lose weight, but to support different systems in your body mm. can be incredibly profound because they stop the body from, you know, you stop eating certain foods and you stop drinking certain things. So the body doesn't have to process all of these extra things. And then you feed it certain medicine, like med- I say medicines, but herbs that nourish, that tonify, that help to clear out um, where there's stuck garbage. And it allows for things to not um, accumulate. Like, you know, for me, one of the things that showed up from a functional medicine doctor was that I have uh, calcifications in my gallbladder, I think. And she was like, this would take in over time if you didn't do anything about it and like 15 years turn into kidney stones. This could turn into kidney stones. Um, but there's different ways by taking certain herbs every day, really gently that can start to break them down and flush them through your system if you're drinking enough water. Another thing to look up is just the benefits of infrared saunas and what infrared saunas can do for your lymph system and to move toxins through your body. So I guess my that's my long answer, but my the short form of it would be like, yes, you already have a system and multiple systems in your body that do that. And learning how to nourish, cleanse, and revitalize those systems, give them the juice that they need to do their work is powerful. And sometimes it's good to get an oil change, you know? Yeah. I was just going to say that assuming that that organ is functioning properly, just because your lab values aren't all fucked up yet is the same way that we just let things kind of progress until we need medication. Yep, exactly. It's just like the whole preventative side of the conditions that we are taught to treat um, isn't stressed enough and it needs to be on a holistic level. Something also that I wanted to bring up from when you were talking about like mental health versus emotional health and all the practitioners and all of those areas, like expecting a person to be able to have the time and money to go to, you know, every single specialist that they need is quite insane, um, which was the main reason why I didn't um, become an outpatient dietitian, um, Mm. because that's the people, like the, the basic needs are not met in terms of people's way of living, that trying to push somebody to go to a dietitian for their chronic illness that they were just given a medication for most likely or about to be given a medication that they're just waiting for that to rely like to rely on to fix themselves while dealing with everything else while running around like headless chickens you know while being all anxious and having to do more and all of these things like it's just no matter what nutrition recommendations i make it's not going to fucking help Yep, yep, more totally. so than not let alone long term and mm-hmm. insurance only covers some insurances only cover like a certain amount of hours per year but in order to actually change your behaviors of 20 30 40 50 70 years 80 years i need more than a few hours with you 
And the entire (laughs) system of expecting us to heal in one hour of therapy, whether talk therapy or whatever else there is, or go to the mental health therapist then go to registered dietitian and then go to the GI specialist and then come back to me people just run from doctor to fucking doctor and mm-hmm. that's why like old people are that that's their fucking life this one goes to pick up this medication then they need to go back to the doctor to test this and then they they go from doctor to doctor to doctor and the fact that we don't question what we can do now to prevent that from happening and spending our life at doctors mm-hmm. is just fucking absurd. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, you go back to the education system, right? Like, wow. If I was actually taught how my system works in school from the vantage point of, you know, even the ability to like learn something like herbology or learn something like Ayurveda or like learn something like Chinese medicine, which I know there are specialized schools for, but, you know, integrated basic awareness of how these different systems work, how to nourish them, how to feed them, lifestyle habits, you know, it's, you just think about all the shit that you learned in school that you still don't apply to yourself and how many things that like now you know, just, just the daily average person could know about that are very simple things, but things that could be built in. Um, it's pretty, it's, it is really astonishing. And I agree with you. It is like a big, a big deal that people aren't able to get the way, the whole way the money system is set up with it. It's really hard. Yeah. And the way that, the also yeah reteaching people that have had all these habits for such a long time it's like it feels almost impossible it's like you're fucking you're trying to do the work for your client you know and and it's it's i mean it's everywhere right it's in the the level of nutrients that would be present in the food that we eat if the soil that it was grown in was actually really healthy soil. Like there's a great documentary called kiss the earth Mm. or kiss the ground. And it's all about soil and what the history of soil and what's happened to soil and what's then happened to food. And then how that has had a chain reaction to our health and our mal malnutrition, um, it like in our bodies, like the minerals that we get, the vitamins that we get are not nearly what they used to be because of the way that monocropping has happened. And you're, we're, you know, cutting down all these trees and planting one plant. There's no biodiversity. And then the way that we harvest, it doesn't feed back into the soil. There's an entire systems very matching to the fact that we don't understand our systems in the human body, not understanding how to properly grow food is then not, not getting the nourishment that we need in our, in our bodies as well. And the way that that there's just such a, a domino effect into all levels of, um, you know, where that can go wrong. And it's important that we have all of these different specialists, but, and it's like within that, if we, again, go to source level thinking, where's the source of all of these malfunctions, it's it's a fucking challenge to to really like own all of it like i've i've had multiple times where 
I've had to go through my laundry detergent, the perfumes I wear, the lotions I wear, the shaving gel that I use, the, the, the fucking conditioner that I got at Whole Foods that still has crap in it, the, you know, organic candle that I got at the bougie organic spa that still has perfume in it and words that I can't pronounce and look up that are chemical, all of those things I'm breathing in to my system or I'm wearing them on my skin or I'm, you know, I'm putting them in my body and you want to talk about like, well, why do you need to detox the body? Well, if we're constantly putting chemicals in everything that we then put into our body or on our body or, you know, even in our makeup or whatever, like over time, that's a massive load on the body. And then you have the level of, you know, non-nutrient dense foods that we're getting from the systems. It's like, it's such an intense thing when you look at like, oof, the big, the big deal of it. And I think that there is, um, I think that the doctors have a challenge with that too. Like even when you don't know about it, dealing with what you're talking about, about, you know, it's, you can, you recognize that you need to work with a person more in depth on what's going on for them, but you're also in an upstream battle against all of these other things that are out of balance in our world and teaching someone to have that level of discipline is hard. I know about all this stuff. And sometimes having that level of discipline is like, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so basically we just have to clone you. <laughs> <laughs> Me should see, I mean, my partner is pretty full on in this stuff too. I think that the, I think so looking at that, cause this has been a very, I think we've gone to the deep end of so many different, so many different things in this conversation to bring it back from a complication or an existential fear of dread of like, <laughs> it's impossible. Um, I feel like it's really important for people to start really simply, you know, start simple. So whether it's that you're going to look into you know, herbs that detoxify the liver and just consider it, just consider it, just look into the functions of how liver detoxes work and the history of them and what they've been able to heal or, um, you know, look into like, watch the kiss the ground documentary or, um, you know, look into your laundry detergent and find a natural laundry detergent that doesn't have preservatives and doesn't have parabens and doesn't have, you know, chemicals, get a really clean laundry detergent, like just doing little things to understand what's going on is really important. And then on the other side of it, if you want to understand the propaganda and all of that, read the book Propaganda by Edward Bernays. And, um, you know, start to research who owns the pharmaceutical companies. There's a huge, uh, a great documentary by um, Co. I'll, we'll link it to, I'm going to have to send you a bunch of links after this podcast. But uh, the Corbett Report, he is a journalist and he has a great documentary on the history of the pharmaceutical companies that I was telling you about, you know, go watch that documentary. Mm -hmm. um, I can grab the name for it as well, but yeah, just find like, find an avenue 
and kind of dive into that avenue and just like do a side project of like, oh, I'm going to learn about this. You don't have to take on the whole world and the whole thing at once. It gets so heavy when we try to look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love those recommendations and adding to that, remembering that we as health entrepreneurs and people in this space have a role that once we see something it's up to us to dive deeper into that so Mm -hmm. based off of this conversation just being open to looking at anything that might have triggered you and been like ah that bitch doesn't know what she's talking about what are they talking about that's useless that's not what I learned um or something where you were intrigued about it just looking deeper into that for yourself and integrating whatever you see a need for within within your practice and opening um, people's eyes that way once you integrate it yourself you're able to um, allow clients to also discern um, what they need as well and um, you don't necessarily need to teach anything but just standing true to yourself will inherently bring other people into that conversation as well Mm -hmm. and um, being in the health industry right now is complicated as fuck um and much more complicated than they prepared us for however um every person every action every dollar you give to any company really makes a difference and so finding your own intentions with how you want to live and how you um the things you value and sharing those values with others to invite them into that way of thinking creates massive change right yeah um Um, so is there anything else you want to share before my final questions oh here I forgot you're one of those podcasts that ask the the questions that I have to think about the answer to in the moment um (laughs) so funny how that's what I get nervous for on podcasts (laughs) um yeah if anything triggered you I mean like again I'm not a I'm not a doctor. I work mostly in trauma and emotional health and emotional well-being. So question the shit out of me. But there are some really cool doctors. Um, Dr. Zach Bush is a really good one. You can look him up on Instagram. Um, uh, There's a couple other really good doctors that I follow whose names are longer. And so I, Brett Weinstein, he's another really good one. Dark, Dark Horse podcast him and his wife are both um incredibly genius genius minds and um they really go into the depth of um what's going on if you have questions about covid or about other things within uh, medicine that may be a little bit more fringy they go in with so much integrity and such a scientific basis on how they look at things um so they're really good And then if you're interested in things like alternative healing, so things like Ayurveda, which is an Indian practice of healing and system of healing, um, or Chinese medicine, there's a lot of different schools that you can look at. There's a lot of different entry online courses that you can look at. There's a lot of different books um, that you can look at. And it can be a little bit of a stretch for the Western mind because essentially they're looking at the body as it relates to the elements and as it relates to 
you know, energies and as well as like very, you know, very physical things. They're med- systems of medicine. So they deal with the physical body, but let it be a stretch. You know, if you're actually really interested in those things, infusing them in with your knowledge of um, whatever medicine you practice, it's going to, you're going to take some time to be like, oh, this sounds so woo, or this doesn't make sense to my mind. But once you really start to dive into these methodologies, they awaken something that allows you to see the world differently and allows you to see your body differently and allows you to really connect what normally you wouldn't think to connect, right? Things like chronic illness or chronic disease being connected to a disconnection from grief or fear or anger or rage or things like that don't really make sense until you start to see, oh, wait, you know, there is a downstream effect from emotions into the physical body. And this is how I'm affected. And this stuff's already been mapped out. So give it a chance if you're interested, but it sounds at first like you're, it makes no sense. And just let your mind have a time where things don't make sense. Let your mind be an eternal student and call bullshit if you see bullshit, you know, or if you're be honest with yourself, if you're like, I'm just not into this, then maybe it's not your thing. But allow your mind to be open because in the Western world, we've just been trained to only focus and, and absorb certain institutions of teaching. And unfortunately, that limits us greatly and makes no sense to the scientific mind e- either. If you're really looking at science, you're supposed to question everything, every single thing, even the people that taught you the science. So. <laughs> just saying. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, And so I asked you this in the last podcast. I have no clue what your answer is, but I have two questions for you. One, what is going to, what makes you thrive? It could be different than last time. Who knows what you said? And then what do you think the world needs to thrive? What makes me thrive right now? It is going to be different, but right now it is, um, being in environments where the full expression of my shadow. So, you know, power dynamics for me, it's like uh, conscious sexuality environments, not like, that sounds weird. Not like orgies or anything. <laughs> Taking a, a strong left turn on this podcast now. Um, but like places where I can fully experience parts of myself that I've deemed, uh, wrong or bad or taboo or shameful in very loving, very embracing, very safe and connected, um, environments. That's really what's making me thrive right now. That's my leading edge. And then the second question was, what do you think the world needs to thrive? I think the world... I think the world needs to read the book, The Righteous Mind, and understand it deeply. (laughs) Essentially, I think the world needs to um, learn to be aware when you are emotionally triggered and invested in a conversation and defensive, and learn to recognize that, breathe into your body, and do your best to just understand how the person that you're speaking with has gotten to where they've gotten to. Mm. So 
taking understanding and making understanding someone else more important than proving your side or proving them right or wrong. That's what I think the world needs right now. Mm, I love that. So useful. Well, thank you so, so, so much for this extended podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, wow, we've done like almost two hours. (laughs) It has been a long journey for this conversation, but thank you for coming on and enlightening us with a different way of thinking. I hope that you guys got everything and more out of this. You probably didn't know what to expect from this, but here we are. I will link all of Jess's stuff below, um, including our Instagram. Um, She also... Um, doesn't have enrollment open now for the Phoenix path. It's actually right? about to open. Cool. Do you want to talk to them a little bit about what that is? Uh, yeah, it's a, so I train coaches to work with mm-hmm. emotional and it's essentially a trauma informed and trauma trained coaching certification. So we learn things from cognitive behavioral therapy to NLP, to hypnosis techniques, to somatic work, and essentially there are different tools. What I teach is different tools to work with the subconscious and work with trauma um, in your clients. So if you want to affect really deep layers of their process and be a coach that is actually able to get to the source of what people are going, like is going on for people on an emotional level and interpersonal level, um, I've got really awesome tools for that, but I've practiced for 12 years and I've taught for extensively for a very, very long time, many, many years. Um, as well. And I put them all into a program for coaches that want to be really, really masterful at what they do, how they create space, how they hold their clients and how they create massive results in the transformation of their clients. So it's called the Phoenix path. And it is, um, I do also teach about healing chronic pain and chronic illness in there. Um, through emotional work and I can send you the link to it right now, if you just go to jessicabenstock.com slash training, you can find it there. Mm. And yeah, we start our next cohort in February of 2022, which, but I have a, a 250 person wait list right now. <laughs> so if you want to get in on that, we're going to start opening enrollments, um, I think next week. Yay. That's epic. Um, yeah. yeah, if you guys have any questions, definitely reach out to Ms. Jess, screenshot this episode, tag us with whatever you liked, or if you just like the episode in general, you don't got to say anything. I feel like people get all stressed out. They're like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, but we love to hear from you. And Jess, thank you so, so, so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Bye, guys. See you guys later. <laughs>